This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I am Jeff Sharon. I am joined by Kyle Nash and Eric Lopez. Today we have, well, we're starting to crank up these uh these spring sports again guys a little bit later we'll talk about tennis we also have some uh additional football to talk about by the way later on Kyle Nash is uh talking with former UCF linebacker and Grey Cup champion in the CFL Terrence Plummer who is a member of the uh Orlando Guardians the new XFL team that's in town of course they were the first xfl in 2020 they were the new york guardians and they've since they've gotten rid of the tampa franchise moved the new york franchise to orlando anyway the orlando guardians are here and terrence plumber's on the team and so is uh, antoine collier interestingly enough uh, another interesting ucf player but our former ucf player but um kyle talks with him and but first we're going to kick off with uh basketball and uh it, well all right. Well, it's coming back down to earth right now for uh, the UCF men. Um, played, ex- I thought, very well, especially defensively against number three Houston earlier this week. But UCF comes out on the short end, eighty-two to seventy-one. Uh, they were down four at the half. They were. Pl- they had, Lord knows they had their opportunities in this game. Uh, Taylor Hendricks had. 17 if you Horton had 18 to lead UCF but the main issue was uh in the second half uh Taylor Hendricks got into foul trouble committed his fourth foul early in the second half had to go out and Houston that's that's a bunch of grown men on that team man they are he was big. called for his fourth foul rather than he committed it uh fair fair um and they just and when he was off the floor Boy, those guys for Houston just feasted on the inside. UCF shot uh, 52% in the first half, 36% in the second half, 43 for the game. Houston, 53 in the first, 48 in the second, and 50 for the game. Uh, leading scorers for Houston, they had they had five guys in double figures. Emmanuel Sharp had 18, 17 for uh, Jairus Walker, Jamal Shedd had 14. Marcus Sasser was in foul trouble and still scored 14. Um, Above the fact, uh, Coach uh, Coach Sampson mentioned that he had a little issue with his knee, too. He came back in and played late. Um, but, yeah, before that, right. three for three from the arc was his entire scoring before he got hurt, so he could have been a lot more dangerous, too. Yeah, well, what I wanted to come away from saying this, and and you guys were there, Eric and, and, uh, and Kyle. Kyle, we'll start with you. I came away, first of all, I'm more impressed with Houston than I was before because uh, to me, how big and physical they are to me, the only team that can beat them is themselves, which they did by the way, against temple in the previous game, number two on the UCF side, not having Michael Durr just really hurts, really hurts. And especially when you're playing that a team with Houston size, um, and that was just fairly obvious. This is a team that now has lost three games in a row to on the road to Tulane, on the road to South Florida, and now at home to Houston. They really need to right the ship right now, but it's hard considering how many guys are on, are, you know, are, are well, considering who rather is still on the shelf. We saw Darius Johnson against Houston, 
Um, you know, he looked like about, I would say, 90%. Um, but Kyle, what do they have to do to get off the schneid here? Because we're starting to hit a little bit of a danger zone. You know, we're, we're talking about an at-large bid not all that long ago. And now this team is sixth in the conference at uh, four and four in the league and 13 and seven overall. Well, and listen, we said it last week, and Aaron, or Aaron, Eric preached it last week, too, and he was 100% correct. The USF situation was a rough one. Uh, and frankly, the way that game went, I, I, I'm going to say honestly at this point, the damage was done. The only way you were really going to bounce back from that is if you dropped Houston for a second straight. But then how much would that have been worth that they lost the Temple? And we can wax poetic about that. I mean, the USF loss as much as I like to criticize Eric for being, you know, the, the, the cynic and the negative Nancy on the pod, he's right. That's a devastating blow. And I think that loss certainly could account for anything more than Houston. Um, but with all that in mind here, Houston for that game, I, I know it's an 11 point loss at the end of the day, right? Uh, Jarris Walker as a freshman is a fantastic uh, talent to watch. And, and I really feel like the difference between the two is the, the amount of talent on both sides was similar. I, I know people want to go out there and, oh, fire Johnny. This team's not that good. We're not ready for the Big 12 and on and on and on. The truth is, the one thing this group has that UCF doesn't is that chemistry. They seem to play together better um, than this group does, and rightly so. This is a bunch of transfers who came together, um, and, and, and honestly, they still look cohesive at times, but overall the situation is such that the Houston just looks like they're more together. And by the way, it's not like, it's not like Kelvin Sampson's a bad coach. Can we be clear about that too? You know, this is a really good, team. very well coached team. Yeah. Probably and the best coach team that we've seen. I think we've said it on this pod and, and, and I'm trying to remember if, if coach Dawkins even echoed it, that this might be their toughest home game on the schedule um, without any question. I think that's uh I think that's self-evident considering the fact that this is what the only top three uh yeah, first first ever top five uh team to come into the um arena. And and I want to say, you know, like you mentioned, you know, uh Kelvin Sampson, and I know Eric still bemoans the fact that Kelvin doesn't wear a suit to the it's game anymore. It's a lost art. Me and Murph have spent so many times doffing the tie and, yeah. and and the and the jacket, but um I, I I I think you're right though, Kyle. I I came away thinking that the talent gap wasn't as great as right. maybe one would think. Uh, I thought that UCF's defensive performance, yes, they gave up 82 points, but overall, I thought that they performed defensively extraordinarily well. And that's the thing we with putting together a bunch of guys that I think Johnny deserves some credit for is defense travels, and these guys know how to defend. The issue was when they needed key buckets, they just kind of weren't there, and they got into foul trouble. That that fourth That's foul on 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 uh, on Taylor um, really uh, was to me the turning point of the game. I would disagree, even with you saying they didn't get key buckets. I mean, how many times in that game did we see? You know, they were starting; it was starting to get uh, the lead was starting to get bigger again. They would get above like five or six. They'd stretch it to seven or nine. And either ten, Taylor Hendricks or Ithiel Horton would stare a man in the face and just pop it, whether it's from three or otherwise. Heck, 
Hendricks would dribble him around a bit, made a move. A guy took a bad step. He'd take him to the hole and just dunk on him. It looked like an NBA mismatch at some point. And this is where I'm coming to with the talent piece. The missed shots and such didn't happen towards the end when these guys are tired and already stacked with fouls. I think UCF had two with uh, four. Hendricks and, and I want to mm. say it was CJ Kelly, who also had four. Jalen Young had four, I think it was. Jalen Young. Okay, so. One of your one of the guys uh, who's responsible trying to uh, break the the press when um, Houston comes out with a big attack on defense. Yeah. From that standpoint, there are too many times where and Houston did it more. Let me be clear. I feel like a lot of their scoring as good as UCF's defense was. There were too many times where the forty second shot clock was too long, and there would be a shot or a miss would be created, but the ball would be you know, unpredictable going wherever. And at the end of the day, it always felt like at, you know, three, two, one, uh, a Houston player would chuck up a good look to sink it. Well, they hit like four threes, basically with the shot yeah. clock coming right. winding down. They shot yeah. the ball. Well, they really ball movement was very good. You, and here's the thing. We always say, man, I really don't like when a, we're playing a team that's coming off a loss. Well, this happened with Houston. They lost to Temple and Kyle. Yeah, that's and the Kyle, other thing. And how many times, Kyle, during that 20-minute presser with Calvin Sampson in the postgame, did he bring up the Temple loss and what went wrong? You could oh, tell man. they have spent the last few days working. One of the things they worked on was their offense, and I thought they had great distribution. 18 assists on 29 field goals. Shed, who's a great point guard for them, had 10 assists in the game. He kind of, you know, let that offense go. Walker is going to be a lottery pick for them. Mm-hmm. Sasser could be a first-round pick for them. There was like a there were a lot pick. of scouts at that game, by the way. That's true. I lost, a I lot of scouts. I, lo- I stopped counting when I got to seven teams, but there were double-digit. Oh, there were there were more. I know. I know. Pre-game, I saw Mike Dunleavy out there on the Mike Dunleavy Junior. I should say at the on oh, the floor. Back. Danny Ferry was reportedly at the game. He was. I saw him. I saw Danny. Um, you know, and uh, I've seen Bob McAdoo before. Usually he comes up from Miami for these games. But, but yeah, Eric, you're right. I, I was just – the point distribution just tells you how well they executed their their offense. Yeah, they were locked in. They were locked in. Yeah. They were Look, they're going to be a team that could get to Houston for the final four. The only, flo- the only concern I have for them is their free throw shooting. Uh, that could cost them if it's in a close game. It cost them the Temple game. Uh, Coach Sampson alluded to that in his post game. You can check out, by the way, all the our post games on the Black and Gold uh, YouTube channel on that. But thank you. But no, look, as far as UCF's concerned, the problem is they played okay defense, but they're not playing at the level they were playing earlier in the year prior to Michael Durr's injury. And I'm going to include CJ yeah. Walker's injury. I know he only played four games, but I maintain UCF doesn't win the Oklahoma State game without C.J. Walker, because he was able to block Cisse, who's one of the best big men in the country. He's a big body, and you lose him and Durr. So now you're down to your, you know, and and what happened is teams now are attacking Taylor Hendricks as a result, whether you agree or not agree with the fouls. I don't disagree with you, Kyle. The fouling was questionable, but that's how he got in foul trouble because Houston's like, we're going to attack this kid. Because there is no Michael Durr to worry about. Yeah. There is no CJ. We're going we're to go after him and get him out of the game. Get well, the kid out of there. Yeah, it's yeah. pure law of numbers. The more you attack a guy, the more likely he is to draw the appropriate number of fouls to, to get disqualified. Yeah. Right. But, but, and then it, it would also result in him being more tentative on defense as well once he picked right. up his fourth when he came back later in the game. And I think he was also a little bit more gun-shy offensively because he didn't want to pick up a charge. Yeah, I mean, and listen, that was pointed out in the article uh, um, 
post game two, written by our own uh, Nick Purcelli. I hope I say, I'm saying his last name right. But yeah, 1407 was the mark here. Third quarter ish of the game. Yeah, I know they do two halves, but it would have been in the third quarter if they'd had four quarters like they should. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I feel a way about that. But the punchline is this. Yeah, from that moment on, I, I think it was a six and a half minute gap. Taylor Hendricks wasn't on the floor. Right. Yeah. He comes back on. In 40 seconds, gentlemen, a double-digit lead becomes, what is it, six or five? I forget which. The punchline is that's just a small sample size of how big the impact Taylor Hendricks has, especially when you're down two bigots. Give him credit, though, for him to come out, be the second leading scorer and the leading rebounder when needed in that scenario. Listen, again, that game was as close as three. And actually, just before that 1407 mark that I mentioned there, it was three points when Hendricks was called for his, not committed, called for his fourth foul. Um, and and that, yeah, yeah. point. Uh, it went uh, from a three-point game to when he finally re-entered some seven minutes and change later uh it was a it was an 11 point game at that so plus eight in that seven minutes for houston that was the game Mm -hmm. and and it could it could have been it could have been even further uh you know i I, not to say this but like there were some excellent plays made offensively to keep it from getting completely out of hand in that time which it could have done and and that's less about that's more about uh UCF's fight and Houston being an incredibly good team and Jarris Walker again went completely crazy through that short period is and and what would you expect no offense to hot tuning company but at that point there there was a mismatch yeah well and here's that's the a large that's a large man the only big, big man yeah oh. and the, there was, it's one of the reasons why they're one of the best offensive rebounding team in the country, and that was where they hurt UCF. And that's where they missed a Michael Dern or C.J. Walker type UCF. The problem with their defense for UCF, and we heard Ethel Horton and Johnny Dawkins allude to it in the postgame, it's not necessarily their off, you know, their first 30-second defense. It's when they get a missed shot and they don't get a rebound. They got out-rebounded by double digits by Houston, got out-rebounded by double digits in South Florida. This is the fourth straight game during this losing streak. They've given up 70 points or more. Two straight games, they've given up 80 points or more. To put that in perspective, prior to this four-game losing streak, they've only given up 70 or more three times the whole year, the first 16 games. That's what they got to get back to. That's why they're struggling. Yeah. Their offense, I thought, was fine against Houston's defense. Yeah, it's I was defense, and, and I don't know the solution because – Health is the solution, but the problem is Michael Durr ain't coming can't, back here. Can't wave soon. a magic wand and make that happen. No, unless Kyle wants to grow, you know, an extra five six inches and have eligibility, we could suit him up for Temple on Saturday. But Elig- that's eligibility is fine. It's the bone spurs, and of course, I'll grant you this, gentlemen. I'm six five. Um, a lot of the front court. Can you box six- out? I can box. I have. I, listen, I am two hundred and eighty. I can box out pretty well. You, okay, six six five two eighty. You're a unit. You can box out. All right, carry on. <laughs> Baby Shaq, right? No, but <laughs> I, I, at one point, one thing I want to set for like all Barkley. Jerseys, Barkley. Yeah, there you go. Hey, that was my first jersey I owned was a Phoenix Suns yeah. Charles Barkley. But oh wait, Drew's not here. We're not talking about jerseys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> shouts to the local stat boy. But Eric, for all the good stats you drop, let me drop one more on you too. Um, a lot of Houston's front court, six, eight, six, nine. You know how I know that? Because I didn't see anybody taller than six, nine. Right. It's going to be hard to convince me that seven foot tall Michael Durr 
wouldn't be a factor. Oh, he yeah. would be. He would have been a factor, and that's what hurts this team. You know, because you and I were talking during the game. I was pointing out the offensive rebounds, and you were like, "Hey, come on, it's it's, it's not it's showing on the second yeah. chance points." But I'm saying those are body blows to a defense. That's a jab, kind yeah. of using the boxing analogy. So it's, that, like, it's like it's it's the equivalent of a third down conversion in football. Sure, and well, so that's the, the problem. Look, to your credit, yeah. two and four, Q, uh, UCF was leading. In second chance points right. by the end of the game, sixteen to nine in favor of Houston. So those body blows did eventually start that internal bleeding in the paint. I get you, and that's been the trend. That was the same story in the USF game. And look, think about this: you this year, this team has lost, has had Darius Johnson out for a good chunk of games, Michael Durr out now for a good chunk of games. You've lost C.J. Walker for the whole year. That's yeah. three guys that was probably going to be your top six, top seven. The rotation guys, mm-hmm. I, I I mean, that's a that's a daunting ask. Unfortunately, this season is reminding me of 2018, which was the year that Taco yeah. Fall missed half the year, BJ Taylor missed half the year, a lot of people missed the year. Aubrey Dawkins missed the entire year. entire year, and and it's just you know it's unfortunate. This team has kind of been snake bitten. It kind of bums me out because I think we've seen this team with the potential when they're healthy, uh, but you can't you know health injuries are part of the game and. At this point, you're, it's going to be tough to pit in a in a top level to to get to the tournament or a postseason when you're not healthy, and it's not going to get easier. You got Temple at home, who has really a good roster. They're now healthier. They weren't healthy in the pre-conference. That's why they struggled early. But this was a, sl- a team that a lot of people liked as a sleeper to maybe make some noise and be an NCAA tournament team before they were there in McKee and company, so. yeah. and they showed it by beating Houston in Houston. So it, it's frustrating. I know people are frustrated, but that you can't – I mean, it, it is what it is. They're shorthanded. Well, let's look at this real quick with this Temple game coming up on Saturday because UCF, at least as of right now, in the net, still hovering around 58, not good enough to make the NCAA tournament, but they weren't really hurt by the Houston loss all that much. No, um, I mean, that's a quality obviously, game. Obviously, that's a quality, quality loss. Temple comes in, and they are one – this is surprising to me. They're 125 in the net. Well, they had an awful non-conference. They had some losses that you just shake your head. But they weren't all healthy. I mean, that's the problem. That's uh, they. But now they're Are starting they healthy to be healthy. now. Right. Yeah. I mean, they should have beaten Memphis a couple of weeks ago. Lost at the buzzer beater at home to Kendrick Davis. Beat Houston. Did I mean, beat right? Houston. The, so they're playing their best basketball now. Uh, and, that's, and Temple's always been a challenge for UCF. They're always close games. Um, and again, well, you know, it's going to be interesting now how they bounce back. You had the fourth largest crowd ever mm-hmm. against Houston. I'm going to go on a limb and say we're not going to have that type of crowd on a noon tip on a Saturday afternoon in Orlando, Florida, where it's probably going to be a nice 65 degrees and sunny and people are going to the beach or going to their favorite. Uh, people ain't dish. going to the beach down here when it's 65 degrees, man. What are you talking about? The North, the people yeah. from the North, well, they'll they take it in the RTF heart. fans. Exactly. Dude, you got no. to hit 80 to go to the beach if you're if you're a college student here. Come on. 80. College student. I didn't. Yeah. I said Northeastern people will uh, be making the tour. tour we need students. We need students man well but that's the students the really packed the place out by the no, way they were fantastic I, they were fantastic we uh, had 1,000 more students in the game in the in the arena for Houston than we did for the Memphis game yeah no so, I mean the rank number three ranked team in the country I mean that's what happened and that's hopefully we'll see this more next year when you get to the big 12 where pretty much everybody in the league is a top 25 caliber so we're gonna yeah. need you all and and that was the message Johnny Dawkins I thought said Kyle, you were, I thought that was pretty – I asked him about that crowd. 
And he talked about how we need that crowd for the Big 12. Otherwise, when you play Kansas comes here, Kansas fans will take over the arena. And again, that goes back to a big picture thing. Like, are we are we going to care about college basketball? Are, is the fans going to support this team? Because it's easy to talk a lot of yapping on the social media, but you're not showing up in the stands. Then you're you're really irrelevant to me. So that to me, my concern is you. This will this market, and it's not just the the. I think the students have done well. I don't blame you know the noon tip for the record. That's a TV thing. That's not a school thing. The TV right. dictates the time. So let's let's make that clear. Like if it was up to UCF, that game would be at night. But. You know, where is the community going to support this program moving forward when they get to the Big 12? Uh, that's, to me, the bigger question on a consistent basis. There's some challenges because you're in an NBA market. So, obviously, the NBA, Orlando Magic's been here uh, forever and things like that. But for this team to have a program to have a chance in the Big 12, they're going to need the support they got on Wednesday night. And I think they will. I think they'll show up to some extent. But they're going to need they're gonna need support off the court just as much as they're going to need talented players on the court. Yeah. 12 o'clock tip, uh, noon on ESPNU, by the way. Go ahead, Kyle, uh, your last point. Yeah, and how was it? Let's 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 quote jo- Johnny precisely. If you're not careful, they'll take over half the arena. Yeah. I think that's how right. we put it, too. I mean, listen, I'll I'll be – I'm planning to be there on Saturday at noon myself uh, for the Black and Gold Banneret there so I can give you a report of how much they turn out personally uh, there myself. But uh, – for all that's being talked about, and maybe I think this is, you know, not to call out the school itself, but this is an institutional thing. I don't see a lot of noise, generally speaking, about UCF basketball, certainly not to the extent of football, which you understand because, you know, there, there's more money in it. But I think it might be time. Let's I mean. Let's get some stuff on the radio for it. You know, let the, well, the media, well, the, the, I'll, I'll say this, the media, the local media, not to call anybody out, but you're right. They, they're too busy talking about, you know, Tom Brady and his personal life and the Florida Gator quarterback recruit that decommitted all that nonsense. Like who gives a bleep about that nonsense? You're right. They don't talk about UCF basketball. They don't talk about college basketball, you know. TV people are too busy about, you know, media day with uh, Arnold Palmer, this, you know, stuff like that. Like, who cares about, really, who cares about Scott Scheffler? Nobody. He's a, he's a dork. He's not Tiger Woods. Get out of here. Anyway, um, you can tell I'm a little agitated by that when I heard that about that commentary. about. By the way, all the other people day. who you're talking about don't even watch TV news. Right. Uh, I right. mean. Correct. You know, so. so, but I, I think you're right. That's a great point you make, Kyle. The community it's not because we always focus on the fans and the students. I think there's, there's diehard fans. There's good support there, uh, but you got to build on it. You got to get the casual fans. And you're right. I was out at a, I, I used an Uber the other night and the, and we we're like, Hey, wait, UCF is playing tonight against them. Yeah. Yeah. They're playing against Houston. He knew all about the magic, right? They know about the UCF football schedule, but that's the challenge when you're in a quote football school. UCF's not the only one that deals with that issue. And that is something that you're right. Kyle has to be addressed moving forward. I mean, Orlando's hometown team is the tagline, right? I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, they got another shot at Temple uh, to try and get off this slide, that this three-game slide that they're on. They haven't won since the Memphis game. Got uh, an old buddy coming up on the Temple team. Is Neil back Reynolds yeah. is, is going to be in town. So Storyline, uh, Kyle. Yeah, it'll be really well. interesting to see, you know, see Jamil at Temple. I wonder what he's doing at Temple right he now. just got back. He had an injury. I know that for a while. Yeah. Oh, wait, Darius Johnson, good to have him back. Hopefully you can keep him intact. That is the positive. I think he was a little rusty, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know. Minimally. Minimally. But he, look, he looked like he was 90%. 
90%. Now, I don't usually he takes the ball to the hoop a little bit more, and he did against Houston, but I felt like not as much or not quite with as much reckless. I don't know if that was yeah, is that I, his injury or is that their size, boss? I mean, I, yeah, that's 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 the question. I, I don't know. I, I I think that he was he he was more content to take the you know to sort of take the you know dribble in and then take kind of fadeaway jumper. Well, and which Taylor, I think that was more more Houston's size than anything else. I yeah, think. Taylor and Ithiel were hitting him too. So I mean, distributing the right. ball is certainly a fine option on the evening. Right. All right, so uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on them for uh, for the Temple game uh, at home on ESPNU, and then uh, a week off, and then Saturday they're on either ESPN two or ESPNU. Saturday, February fourth at Cincinnati. That's going to be another tough one. So um, you know, because you know we're staring. You know, it, 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 this is a tough little stretch right now uh, with home for Temple at Cincy at Wichita before you get Tulsa on the eleventh of Saturday at home. So. It's going to be rough on the women's side. Uh, they really struggling in South Florida, South rough, Florida, South rough. Florida things. <laughs> I mean, that was look. I mean, we knew, we knew what was, what was going to happen there. Right. I mean, USF is a good team. They're top. Are they top 25 now, Eric? Uh, I haven't checked the poll. So on the check, women's yeah. basketball there, I have not had a but need there, but no, look, they're very good. I mean, yeah. if they're not just, just cause they're not, doesn't mean they're, if they're not, not they should be right. 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 <laughs> 8351 was the final last Sunday on ESPNU. So UCF has a week uh, and and Nick Porcelli informs us they were just put in the top 25. So that's no surprise there. Um another road game coming up on Saturday against Temple at Temple 2 p.m. on ESPN plus. That place has been rough in the past for UCF. I don't know what it is about uh, about the Leacora Center that's just a royal pain for this program, but I'm glad we're going to be leaving them behind. And then they're back home again on Wednesday, February 1st against SMU, 6 p.m. Um, you know, again, they just need something to break their way. Well, here's the question for both of you. What is the identity of this team? Well, uh, well, whatever, whatever it is, it's probably injured. Well, not <laughs> fair point, or at least was right. I mean, if, if you want physicality in this team, you got it. The problem is the guard play uh, and, and is just the shooting in general is just very streaky. You know, you used to be able to. The reason why Brittany Smith was known as Brittany Buckets is you could just give her the ball nine times out of ten. She's going to drop you. Uh, she drop you a pair uh, in, in the paint. If they don't do that, Diamond can pull up and knock one down. On occasion, Rachel Ranky will blast from beyond the arc and look awesome on a consistent base doing it. And sometimes she won't. Desto will sometimes have. What is it? Eight of 15 games with a double-double, right? Yeah. And sometimes when she's neutralized, it's not there. Nate Hutton has come on. A lot of power down low. But again, not the guard position we're talking about. Maya Burns has had some moments where she's stepped up big when Desto's in foul trouble from the guard position, but not necessarily shooting from distance. The problem is when the guards start to get pressured and the turnovers mount, it's hard for them to climb back in. This is what I've observed, at least in the past two games. Yeah, I think the other thing is too, like you, you look at uh, you know where they're most talented, they're inexperienced. Like I, I like I look at Sierra Godbolt, and I'm like, she's going to be the defensive play, uh, an all defensive player in the Big Twelve at least at some point, but still right. very raw offensively. Well, um, again, and, and again, I think y'all make points. I'm just saying, I think that's to me the goal here moving forward. You know, because I think everybody, nobody's naive, right? This was a rebuild. This is a rebuild. Oh yeah. Sprint, not a marathon. Or a marathon, think, not a sprint. Sorry, I said it backwards. Uh, and, yeah. 
Right. But I remember, Kyle, when we previewed the season, you asked, the, you even brought it up. What is the identity of this team? You know, what is it going to be the identity? I don't think we know that yet. I think it's important. I think one of the key goals, I think, for the rest of the year, however, win losses, it is what it is. At the end of the year, do we know the identity of this program moving to the Big 12? What is the identity of a Cynthia Messer team? What is, you know, with every successful program, every program has some sort of an identity, right? Uh, you know, the previous regime, obviously, you knew it was defense, intense, playing the zone. Uh, other successful teams, UCF have, you know, UCF volleyball this past year, high up-tempo offense, uh, softball, high tempo offense with do- dominant pitching. UCF women's soccer, dominant goalkeeping and defense. Got him to turn. What is the identity of this team and this program moving forward? I think uh, I'm, you know, that's one I think they got to figure out. Well, I think we got a little bit of an answer over the past week when we saw some commitments that came in uh, for uh, UCF as well. Caitlin Peterson uh, has committed uh, has committed in for UCF. She's a guard. Uh, who played, I believe, in the uh, in the Big Ten earlier uh, in her career. So that's a, that was a pretty big uh, get for UCF. I think they had one more signing. I haven't actually. I I, I don't try, try to shuffle back through to see it, but you know they're at least they're working pretty. Coach Messer is working pretty hard in that transfer portal to see who she can pull in here uh, for next year. And you know it's it's a good thing she is because you know she's going to lose some pretty key talent that she has. You know, there's there's going to have to be some, you know, some additional rebuilding. You know, Desto is a senior. Is that right, Kyle? Uh, yeah. Or no, she's a junior, I believe. Redshirt junior. OK, so she can yeah. come it's one back of those in. where she she might be a senior, but it has a year eligibility. It's one of those uh, COVID. Right. She's listed as a senior, but she does. Who but right. Who she has. A, I think she's a free year. So we'll have to take a look. And, right. you know, Ranky's not going to be there. Right. Right. So, um. You know, but uh, but yeah, Bryson just tells me that uh, that that Desto does have an option to come back next year. So yeah, so whether you look at it as redshirt junior or senior versus super senior, the point is there's another year there. I'll, however, her how you say her desire to stay is is an interesting thing. I mean, for her, I, I think a lot of it is to, uh, you know, um, I, I think uh, basketball is a secondary goal for her. You know, she's looking to be an architect. She's trying to get going and get her degree. And, you know, she had entered the transfer portal for a bit. So there's reason to, uh, I'm, I'm slow to assume she'll be back and I'm enjoying all the destiny Thomas I can, uh, during this season and, and, and eight, eight double doubles of the first 15 games is a heck of a way to do so. I'll tell you what, yeah. um, also worth mentioning too, like Ashton for Holst. I mean, uh, uh, the returning, returning aspect, what few, of it is there uh she played a big role earlier in the year and has been missing she's finally out of a boot but i would i would assume she's not gonna be back until february ish um which isn't too far off at this point actually but you know she's yeah i was gonna say right around the corner <laughs> yeah she's working which uh, listen considering again this time a week or two ago she was in a boot she's going in the right direction is all i'm trying to imply but it's another backcourt presence that's not there well, we got to see, you know, like I said, they need one more, just one break, one break to go their way, because I feel like they're kind of like, they're kind of, they're, they're really scuffling right now. Yeah. And, I th- and I think Eric, you're right. Figure out an identity in this point at this point. Right, Kyle? Yeah. I mean, what we've seen so far is I feel like it's, it's, <laughs> I'm going to use the football analogy here. Work with me. Like she's got 
the essence of what would be like a running game air quotes, right? She's got the physical presence. She's got oversized guards, except for obviously, you know, Sierra Gabolt and Layla Jewett, but like Ranky has, uh, she can post and rebound and has in other games. Maya Burns can post a rebound and has in other games. Um, it's about getting that, that, that speed and that grace and, and, and that consistency, uh, to put the ball in the bucket, you know, mm. and that confidence. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on them as well. All right, we're going to take a break here. When we get back, talk a little football and uh, specifically pro football. Terrence Plummer, y'all remember him from uh, UCF, graduated in 2014, part of the Fiesta Bowl team and the team that stole that game up in ECU to win a share of the conference title. Well, Terrence has had a pretty long career in professional football, kind of bounced around quite a bit, won a great cup in the CFL. And is after a couple years off, is making his return here in Orlando with the Orlando Guardians of the XFL. Kyle talked to him earlier this week, and we will hear that conversation in just a moment. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Kyle Nash, the student of the game with you. Uh, we're going to hear from a former UCF player in a little bit, but first we wanted to update you on the UCF spring football game, which is now set for April the 14th. That is a Friday, and it will be at night, 6.30 p.m. First, I think this is the first ever nighttime spring game. Is this right, Eric? Well, Frost's first year was at night. I don't oh, remember Frost was at night. Okay. his first one. And that was, ironic, not a coincidence, was the best crowd they've ever had for a spring game. I want right. to say, I don't remember if that was Friday night or Saturday night uh, spring game. But I think that's a big factor in this move uh, because if anybody's been there, and Jeffrey, you've been there, Kyle, you've been there the last couple of years in those Saturday early slot, there hasn't been really a lot of people in the stands. So I give credit to the school to try something different. I think it's a smart move to put it in the evening. It's this, this fan base likes uh, evening games. And look, spring games are for the diehards. They're not for casual people in all across the board, unless you're in like in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where there's no life you know, there at all. Like literally nothing to do here we go so of no course you're point. gonna go to a spring game what else are you gonna do in tuscaloosa but anyway orlando has nice things to do like nice weather and theme parks but so i like to move i think they're gonna get a good crowd because of this you're never gonna please everybody right okay <laughs> i get it uh but i i support the school believe it or not uh in this move i think it's a good move i think it's interesting i think one of the other interesting things that things that i, I can't believe we haven't done this yet you realize how they're breaking down the teams? It's going to be the Knights and the Citronauts. It's not going to be black or gold. So that's going to be interesting. The one time the application of the Citronaut is actually very strong here is for this concept, Jeff. I completely agree. I think there are more than one, but, you know. That's, that's, okay, and you're welcome to that That very so, Somebody, the, the, the graphic shows like a, a white Citronaut helmet. Did you see that? I did see that. I wonder if they're going to bust that out. I would hope they do, actually. That would be cool. I, that would be really cool. So uh, 6.30 p.m. April 14th. Uh, I'm sure some more details will be uh, will be coming about. This will be our final football game as a member of the American. Remember, technically, we don't join the Big 12 until uh, July the 1st. So, yeah, this is it. So Staff uh, would be proud of you putting that in there, Jeff. Yeah, I, I, I understand. <laughs> um which brings us to some more football that's going to be taking place in the spring. Of course, the XFL is coming here to Orlando. 
uh, now owned by uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and uh, several investment partners. Um, the uh, They're retaining a few franchises from the first go-round in 2020. You remember in the spring of 2020, um, <clears throat> they were cut short because of COVID. At that time, they were owned by WWE and Vince McMahon. Uh, the Rock bought the the bought the assets, bought the league, decided to restart it, and they're restarting it um, this year in 2023. And they put what was the New York Guardians, they moved them to Orlando. By the way, there was a team in Tampa, uh, the Tampa Bay Vipers. They don't exist anymore. Um, but we have the Guardians now, and there are two former UCF players on the Guardians roster. One, Antoine Collier, you remember, made the famous interception at the end of the Peach Bowl to clinch that game against Gus Malzahn's Auburn Tigers. Uh, and uh, the guy who our very own Kyle Nash spoke to, Terrence Plummer. You remember him from all the way back in 2014, uh, graduated. Uh, that was his last season on that great defense that UCF had in 2013 and 2014. Well, Terrence um, he's bounced around. He's, ha- he's had some opportunities from with a couple of uh, NFL teams didn't quite work out. Ended up going to the CFL. Won a great cup in 2017 with the Toronto Argonauts. Um, left football for a bit and got an invite back to the Guardians, where he will uh, play under, uh, where he will play for their head coach, a guy who Eric Lopez knows and loves very much. Former Florida State defensive back Terrell Buckley, of course, longtime NFL player. There's a couple other recognizable names on the uh, coaching staff. Shane Matthews is the quarterbacks coach, former Florida Gator. Lamar Thomas uh, is also the assistant head coach, the former Miami Hurricane. Uh, DeAndre Francois is one of their three quarterbacks on the roster, former Florida State Seminole. And but Kyle, you talked to uh, Terrence and give me a sense of kind of where he is before we roll the interview here in terms of his career, because you know he's not like a lot of the other guys. He's been he's an old hat. He's been around for a while. So what's what's his play here? Yeah, I mean, the way when I asked him what kind of opportunity this meant for him uh, in general, because that's the key word about anything around the XFL is opportunity that they're throwing around. And he said it very succinctly and very simply. It was an opportunity to play more football. He's just trying to get as much in as he can before he's done is what it sounds like. And and you know what? Credit to the guy, right? It's up there with Latavius Murray and that kind of stuff with him trying to keep his career rolling and get as much time in as he can before he hangs it up. Well, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What do you say, Cal? This is uh, Cal Nash's discussion with former UCF and current Orlando Guardians linebacker Terrence Plummer. Let me ask you this really quick to start with. The word opportunity is thrown around all over with everything surrounding the XFL and the Guardians. Uh, what kind of an opportunity does this represent for you? Um, Like you said, uh, um, this is a league of opportunity, but... um. This is another opportunity for me to play football. I haven't played in three years since uh, the uh, uh, 2020 XFL 2.0, right? And I call myself like a COVID baby, man. We got a lot of us were, you know, playing uh, during that time. And then when that when uh, COVID hit, you know, it seems like a lot of us got kind of uh, lost in the shuffle. And, um, you know, I, I just kept working and kept grinding during that time, hoping another opportunity to come back when um, – the Rock and Danny Garcia at Redbird Capital decided to bring it back. You know, I was um, definitely excited. So this opportunity, just another opportunity for me to go out there and do what I love, man. I'm just excited to be here. Um, it's just another opportunity to go play ball, man. 
the, the only thing I think the only thing bad about the first XFL was the fact that you know Corona hit and um, yeah. we lost a lot of us lost the opportunity to play ball and um, you know it was just a tough time for a lot of us because you know we had some young guys who were just getting their first opportunity to come play ball um, at the professional level and then for, for some of us uh, guys who had kind of been pros previously you know um, uh, for the, for it to be taken away we kind of lost opportunity to get back to the NFL and the CFL or whatever leagues that were you know going on during that time but but the positives man like um coach Carter was saying man we good um he got us in a beautiful hotel out here in Dallas um everything's been first class um they drive us to and from practice um we got a great um training staff um our um medical's always taken care of down here in the hotel so um they're just treating us like real men, you know, real grown men, too. And um, I appreciate that, you know, me being a, a little bit older guy, you know, um, I've been around the block a little bit. So, you know, I don't I don't really need my hand held, you know, treat me like a treat me like a grown man. You know, I'll do what I need to do on the football field. So it's been all positive. Um, actually, this joint practice has been fun. We had one versus D.C. the other day and then we got another one coming up. So it's good. And I got a lot of former teammates from the NFL, CFL, college that are all out here. So it's just been. It is one big, big reunion and party, you know, all celebrating the game of ball. So it's been pretty good. It's been three years since I got to play ball. So, you know, um, and it, but, but honestly, I think it made me better because the game was taken away from me. And, uh, you know, when something's taken away from you, you kind of realize whether you love it or not, you know, yeah. and uh, I had to, I had to make some life decisions during that time. You know, I got a wife, um, you know, a home in Jacksonville, Florida. So, you know, life, you know, even though football wasn't going on, life continues, you know what I mean? So I had to, I had to work all type of odd jobs during that time. Then I finally settled in and got my degree from UCF uh, during uh, 2021. So I was able to put that to use. I work at a sports performance gym in Jacksonville called B3 Better. And I got my own linebacker academy. So um, it kind of helped me, uh, you know, get prepared for what's life after football. You know what I mean? But during that time, I was still grinding, still putting the work in because I knew that, you know, we might have an opportunity to go out there and play ball again. And uh, for, yeah, the first few days I was a little rusty. But now that we rolling and getting going, I'm feeling a lot better under my feet. You know, uh, my pads starting to feel good. So, you know, it's always an adjustment period. But, you know, I think sometimes when you go through those trials and tribulations, you, you kind of recognize who you are as a man and uh, what you really want to do. And uh, I really wanted to continue to play football. So I think I'm going to be the best me that I've ever been because, I, you know, I had the game taken away and now it's back. So I'm just super appreciative of the uh, opportunity. You know, and I appreciate you talking about the cha cha uh, challenge, the a challenge there, Terrence. I mean, thank you for sharing that too. But I, but I have to ask to get the closure on it, man. How excited were you to put those pads back on and get in that joint practice, man? Tell me about that. Yeah, man, we were out there. You know that excitement. We've been hitting on, we've been hitting on each other for about you know a week and a half, and uh, the opportunity to go, you know, kind of test yourself because you you know you go hard and practice every day. And um, you know, you uh, coach, coach, coach TC and coach Buck always telling us, you know, uh, run to the ball. You know, we have a standard that we have set here. You know what I mean? And um, we do it every day, but it's you know, it's going against your own team. And so when you go against another uh, another opponent, you know, you want to kind of test out, you know, what you've been seeing in practice. You know, see if you know uh, the things that have been working well. Why you've been going to get your teammates? You know, will they will they work well versus the uh, opponent? So um, you know, it was it was exciting, man. You know, the blood gets a little boiling. So it was it was a, it was a fun time. It was a good it was a great time out there.
See, this is this is one advantage you have in a Zoom call. That smile was amazing when you were telling us about that, bro. <laughs> you know. but, but let me transition to this too. In the interest of 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 you know um, excitement and motivation and all that, something we've heard throughout the past couple of weeks from the coaches, and I'm sure you'll recognize it when I drop it. Smart, fast, and fearless. I know the coach has been preaching that to you guys. How was that fit into the game? How is that working out for the defense? How well does that identify you as a linebacker core? Um, I think that's 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 spot on because you know um, the game of football. A lot of people don't realize you know the X's and O's and how intelligent we are as athletes because we're. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like um, a lot of football players are, are geniuses in their own right because they're having to make quick snap decisions in, in like a blink of an eye. Right? I got to be able to uh, see formations. I got to be able to tell tendencies and you know, where the ball's placed on the field, what they like to do here. You know what I mean? It's a lot that's coming at you in, in, in a six-second um, span, you know what I mean? So you have to be smart. Um, you got to play smart football, right? Um, as, a, as a defense, we don't want to have penalties. Um, we don't want to be a, a defense that's out there, you know, uh, not knowing the situation of what's going on in the game, uh, whether that be a situational period, which coaches and teachers uh, make us go through a lot during practice, two-minute, three points, um, you know, uh, we're down four points, you know, we need to get the ball back. Like, that all plays a role in um, playing the game. So smart is definitely number one. Fast, you know, uh, fast is, um, a lot of people get fast misconstrued. They think 4-3 or 4-2 or everybody's got to be these type of things. No, um, football is about re reaction, you know, being fast, being able to get somewhere quick and do the things that you need to do. So um, that's where fast comes in and fearless, you know. Uh, uh, that's the next thing that uh, separates most sports in America, right, in football, in which this is a full contact sport. So um, you have to be fearless. You have to um, go out there and know that um, you can't have fear in this game because if you're fearful, that means you're hesitating. And if you're hesitating, that somebody's going to beat you, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, fearless is, is, is the last one, but it's, it's just important. It's smart, fast. Yeah, now that you have that experience, now I imagine people looking at you as a leader. Talk about you being a leader on the, on this team now on the defensive end? Yes, sir. Um, I just try to lead by example. I'm not really uh, a guy that want to uh, talk too much, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a coach that, that works at my gym. His name is Coach uh, Coach Joe, Joseph Hanson. He's a recon Marine for uh, for the United States um, military back in, like, the 80s. And he's fought in a lot of wars, done a lot of things for this country, and I salute him for it. But me and him just have conversations. He's actually a USA uh, – um, Olympic weightlifting coach. And uh, what he explained to me is, is you know, uh, sometimes words go in one ear and out the other. But uh, but if you lead by example, by how you carry yourself, by how you, by what you do, your work ethic, right? Um, me taking notes and meetings, me, me asking questions, me doing those certain type of things, you know, I, I really take that, uh, I take that with pride because I know that, you know, people are watching me. I also got a lot of kids back in my gym that I train, you know, they're watching me and their parents, uh, Look, look to me as uh, somebody that, uh, for their kids, uh, uh, see as a leader. So, you know, I just try to go about it in that, in that mindset, just by leading by example, um, putting that shield on every day, that armor, and uh, going out there and just doing what I love to do. So I think that's the biggest uh, thing a leader can do is by setting that example by how I carry myself. You know, TP, you were talking about how excited you were just to get back into the game of football, which from your perspective, I 100% I understand. Um, but let me ask you this. How much how much more sweet do you get to put on it by doing it in Orlando 
coming back to Orlando to play. Uh, you're definitely going to see some UCF people that are going to be excited to see you. Um, how much extra does that put on it? Come on, baby. You, you're talking from the black and gold brand of red, so you know. Like, <laughs> so, so, like, you know, Orlando is like my second home, and uh, it's always going to be my home. Um, I, I, there's a lot of blood, shedding te- uh, blood, sweat, and tears I spent in Orlando for four years while I was there. Um, and, you know, four of my cousins graduated from UCF, so we got this thing going um, for my family. I, and my wife graduated from UCF, and her sisters graduated from UCF. So, you know, Orlando's just a, just a special place in our heart. And, um, you know, I, hopefully when me and my wife have kids, they want to come from follow at the alma mater, you know? So it's like, it's a big deal to us, really. Um, I didn't realize how much uh, Orlando really meant to me when I was uh, in college, you know, because I'm just enjoying the moment. But when I left and all the love that I had there and all the success, you know, um, just to be back, it's a, it's, it's, it, 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 it really warms my heart. And uh, I know it's genuine people out there that, that have supported me all all throughout my career. So I can't wait to be back out there. It's gonna be fun, you know. And I'm from Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and my mother's fa- and my and my mom's part of my family from West Palm Beach. So you know, from Jacksonville to Orlando was two hours. From West Palm Beach to Orlando was two hours. So it's like Orlando's like the party central. So everybody, hopefully, everybody comes out there from my family, and you know, hopefully, people from UCF, you know, support me and support you know anybody else. As from Orlando, want to come out there and enjoy the games because you know it's going to be a rocking environment. We're going to bring our best effort, so I'm excited, man. I just, I just can't wait. You know, I got, a, got a lot more work to do until that time. So when it comes, it's going to be a blessing. All right, thanks to our friends at the Guardians, Andy Seely, former uh, UCF director of communications, over there now, and uh, thanks, of course, to Terrence. The Guardians uh, open their season Saturday, February 18th at the Houston Roughnecks, who, by the way, have a fantastic logo, um, on ESPN and FX. That game will be 8.30 p.m. Saturday, February 18th at Houston. Their first home game uh, will be against the San Antonio Brahmas on Sunday, February 26th, uh, eight days later. Uh, and that will be televised on ESPN at 4 p.m. Sunday, February 26, 4 p.m. ESPN, San Antonio at Orlando. So, um, you know, obviously some roster moves still have to be made. Um, what is your sense right now, Kyle, of the opportunity that the XFL presents for these guys? Because, you know, we've seen, obviously we've seen these leagues come and go. Eric makes fun of me all the time. But... Um, my sense is that, you know, the management's there. We've had, you know, we've had a number of, you know, it's like we've kind of tried every single way and it's like, okay, we need to like cut the fat here and actually get this thing moving. Um, And they're going for non-NFL markets, which I think is really key for the most part. Um, What do you think right now uh, with this new incarnation of, I guess, I guess we call this XFL 3.0? Right. And, that, oh, and that's exactly what they're calling it. And, and listen, for, for all intents and purposes, from Orlando's perspective, either whether it be uh, XFL one, the AAF, right? Aaron Evans and that painting at the starting left tackle, mm-hmm. just saying um, uh, the the all of it has been successful in Orlando. It's been right. bigger picture questions, the backing, some of the strategic decisions. Right. Lessons have been learned. And, and the way I put it, I. um the way I put it in the past is with those lessons learned, they know not to compete directly with the NFL 
And they also know that they have to have enough backing. You just aren't going to be able to get a bunch of players together and go. And I think those lessons have been learned, right? You know, you have, uh, um, I forget the name of the media group, but like uh, uh, Danny Garcia, The Rock, everybody involved mm-hmm. with that. Um, and the key term mentioned in the press conference they had earlier this week was they're targeting for longevity. They're not worried about ticket sales the first couple seasons. You know, and they have big TV backing and doing it right. Disney's involved with ESPN, ABC, and all that. FX yep. is hearing games. So there's a lot of things they're doing right now. I think the most important thing uh, will not be this season, but in the next season, what they learn and what they apply. So for me, year two is what's going to determine all that. Mm-hmm. But um, I I think there's a there's a lot of things going for it that they didn't have in the past. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I think is quite interesting is you look at the coaching staffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they really are, tar- you know, the, the thing that I think they that they really are targeting here is also they want to be that key developmental league for the NFL. Obviously, they have competition from the USFL. We saw some guys who played in USFL this past, you know, who play, who got some NFL run this year. Um, and that's been key. Reggie Barlow, Anthony Beck, Terrell Buckley, obviously coaches the Guardians. Jim Hazlitt uh is uh is coaching in the xfl as well wade phillips bob stoops and uh uh two other two former pittsburgh Steelers here heinz ward and rod woodson as head coaches and that's the other thing i think that's also key is developing you know former players into coaches i think that's another thing that can that 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 a league like this can help with too no yeah, absolutely. For all the talk about, you know, uh, 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 minority coaches, coaches of color getting opportunities, this league has been a great standing point for that as well. Mm. So it's going to be, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. I, well, I think I, people have to have realistic expectations. I think the thing that's hurt the XFL in the past is unrealistic expectations. The original one. Well, the first uh, one, certainly. Well, that <laughs> the one, second, yeah, I mean, the second one got screwed because of COVID. Let's go. I, I agree. I know. I actually agree because they were doing pretty well. Right. The second version. The first version, if you put that in today's age with all the options from a television and streaming, I think it would have been successful. The problem was. They wanted to put it as an NBC prime time, and NBC was still kind of their feelings were still hurt because they had just lost the NFL. Uh, but there was interest. Orlando, in particular, has always had interest. Like the reason football yeah. hasn't worked in Orlando is not because of Orlando. It's like you mentioned, Kyle, because of everywhere around. else. <laughs> everything so, yeah, we had think, the, the Thunder were good in the World yeah. League. The Rage in the XFL, they were actually had the best record in the league. Yeah. Uh, in the regular the season. Tuskers. I went Remember to some the of the Tuskers. Tuskers right. Yeah. They actually lost in the UFL championship game yeah. twice. Right. Uh, uh, and then, well, let's not forget when the AAF, which, you know, we, we all know how poorly that was managed at the very top. The Orlando Apollos were the top team in that league. They drew a ton. So I, I think that's going to be fine. And I do like the fact, the one thing I like about the XFL that I don't like, for example, the USFL, uh, is you're not going into NFL markets. I think that's just... You're not good. It's I think it's dumb. Go to a market that doesn't have professional football, and you're going to get support. That well, they way. do have they do have some in some of those markets in NFL markets. They have DC, they have Dallas, they have Houston, they have Seattle, they have Las Vegas. They also have St. Louis, Orlando, San Antonio. And those are three. Those are three. Obviously, St. Louis had the Rams not that long ago. San Antonio. I mean, they built the Alamo Dome for the purpose of trying to draw an NFL team to begin with, right? And, and actually, the San Antonio Commanders 
Uh, I was just going to say that, and then Bryson also reminded me, uh, in the AAF, they were the number one attended uh, AAF team, and they, they, they sold a lot of tickets to those games. I think when you see the fan support that UTSA has gotten, as yeah. well as a pretty good indication of the of how strong football is in that market. And I think the St. Louis Battlehawks also in the in that first XFL season in 2020, they led the XFL in attendance uh, when the season ended because they were playing in the in the old, well, it used to be called the TWA Dome, and it was then it was the Ed Jones Dome, and I don't know what the heck else it's called now. But um, but it, I, I I want this to work because I think that there's an opportunity for guys maybe you know who need a little bit more development to get that development working with pro coaches. And here's the, and here's the reason why over the last 20 years, I think, and I want to know what you guys think about this. The, the college football, I think is becoming less involved in developing players to become professionals and more about winning and winning now. Okay. And when you focus on that, because there's so much money flying around, right? Especially to the coaches that there is pressure. There is pressure to win. And, you know, you you can talk about Alabama all you want. They're a unicorn right now. Right now, coaches, especially at UCF's level, and and I think in a a larger number of the P5, and certainly all the G5, they want to win now because that's how you get your name out there, um, how you bring attention to your school and in turn bring funding. Right. Um, and so the professional development part has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit in the last several years. And and players are coming out of college, I think, not fully ready to be NFL level players like they were in the past. And developmental leagues like the XFL can help them get there. I, I don't know if I agree with that because players still want to get to the NFL. So th- right. that's the but reason that doesn't going necessarily to, mean they're but- ready. No, but the SEC has done a pretty good job of getting most players ready. I mean, look at well, Joe Burrow. You know why Alabama Joe Burrow? Su- jo- Alabama and Georgia have LSU. I mean, Joe Burrow. The reason he's successful in the NFL is because he already played on a minor on an NFL team. It was called the LSU Tigers, twenty nineteen, that won the national title with a bunch well, of NFL guys. But, that, but remember, Eric, that's the exception, not the rule. LSU has a bunch of defensive players in there too. I mean, Dude, no, that's what I'm saying. Like the SEC's the farm stop. Now, I do agree. In other places, uh, maybe there's some shortage, and and I think what you're referring to is. There's more scheme now in college. Everybody runs a raid or a spread. And I think UCF's an interesting example of this. The pro talent has dropped off since UCF's gone to the spread. Like, really, they developed, they did a better job developing players in the O'Leary era than they have in the Frost and Hypo era. Look at the impact players that UCF has now compared to what they had in O'Leary. The O'Leary era was way better. So that might be where your point is correct, Jeff that the development is not at the level from a pro standpoint now that it was, say, 10, 20 years ago when UCF ran a pro set. And I'm using UCF as an example. They're not alone. I, I don't, I'm just using this as UCF's example. But I think in other programs are similar in that they're not running pro set offenses. They're not – they're running more different st- styles that maybe aren't developing guys as quickly as they did 10, 20 years ago. To your and, point. And, and, like, you know, the, those bend but don't break defenses, I think, are the same thing. Right, they focus right, so right. much on, on like, just, you know, forcing turnovers and whatnot that they don't focus on a lot of the things that make a good professional defensive player, right? I mean, talent's there, certainly. But talent in 79 cents gets you a bag of potato chips – 
what you have to do is actually develop that talent. And I think that we're, you know, there's been, a, I think there's certainly been a shift in college and that's why, you know, I hope these leagues actually do work because, you know, one thing that I think we've seen in the NFL, some people complain about the quality of play in the NFL. It's because you have a lot of players who are actually developing on the job and that's hard. You know, that's, yeah, I, I think the NFL quality is fine. I think it, that we we spent too much time about quality. Good, it is football is football. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's poor quality. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, I mean, there, I mean, fifty million people are watching. For, yeah, yeah, but it, but it takes a little. I think it takes a little bit longer for players to really develop into the kinds of players that I think the scouts truly envision than it did before. You could plug rookies in fairly easily now. You know, you got to you got you really got to work these rookies into the program a little bit more. That's why the rosters have gotten bigger. That's why the practice squads have gotten bigger. True. Yeah. And I think, you know, do guys like a Sam Jackson benefit from playing in XFL that maybe he's not ready to play in the NFL, maybe doesn't get drafted, guys like that. Yeah. Maybe you find more linemen. Uh, but, again, you also have to make sure you have the right coaching in the XFLs. Are these guys credible coaches? Or are they just names, right? That's the other aspect of this, too. And I think the one thing I will say about the XFL is they have guys – that have credibility, whereas maybe yeah. in past years, the leagues, the guy was just there, you know, guys were past their prime. I mean, not to call out, you know, like I remember Jim Fossil was there. Like nobody knew Jim, like was Jim Fossil just there to get a check or is he, you know, now I think you have guys that are genuinely invested in football. So like Bob Stoops is still a great coach, for example, you're going to be yeah. better off. So hopefully we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That's well, I mean, yeah, you got what we mentioned earlier, like Wade Phillips is in there. That's um, one of several factors I could get into, but um, yeah, that's a different podcast. But yeah, I, I think you're there. <laughs> and and as far as the development of of players, I think coaching development in these new leagues is really a bigger factor, in my opinion, than the player development necessarily. Yeah, I agree that's, with that. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, mid February is when the uh, Guardians fire things up, and we'll be following them. And also any UCF players that are playing on any of the other teams that are out there, as well as in the USFL. Marlon Williams had a great year last year uh, for the Birmingham franchise in the USFL. How that guy is not on an NFL roster, I don't know. I really don't know. He, he is he absolutely lit it up last year, and someone needs to get a hold of him. I would love my Giants to get a hold of him. We could use another receiver who can actually play in the slot and break tackles. I'm just saying. All right. We get back. We got a little bit more to talk about, uh, kind of open up the grab bag and talk about what's going on with UCF tennis. whose season is fully underway. And uh, we'll be right back. This is Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you. And Bryson is in, in the house. Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Uh, and we get to talk about what's going, what else is going on in the world of UCF sports. So we got to talk some tennis because tennis is fully underway now. And uh, both teams uh, are, uh, are starting to kick off this schedule. So UCF is, uh, first of all, I want to start with the women's team. Uh, they are headed to Auburn for the ITA kickoff weekend. They will face Arizona State, number 19 in the country. UCF's ranked number 23, by the way. Uh, they face Arizona State at four on Saturday, and then the next day they play either Auburn or UC Santa Barbara. Um, uh, it's a shame they're not playing at Santa Barbara. Have you ever seen that campus, by the way? That campus is gorgeous, UC Santa Barbara. Holy smokes. Um, and uh, off, off they go. Off goes UCF women's tennis. So, um, But there's some bigger news from uh, UCF tennis from all the way across the other side of the globe. Bryson Turner in the land down under. How do you do with UCF's 
Stephanie Webb in the Australian Open Juniors in Melbourne. Yes, indeed, Jeff. So Stephanie Webb, true freshman coming to from Australia. She's an Australian native. Because of her win at the uh, at a junior tournament in Australia before coming to UCF, she got a wild card invitation to the Australian Open Junior Tournament. Eric and I have been talking about that, Eric being the tennis fan that he is. And she made a big splash right away by upsetting the number one seed in the girls' singles tournament, Sarah Saito from Japan. And... And she managed to win 6-3, lost the second set 6-1, but then came back and won at 6-2. I was watching a little bit of that on ESPN+. And her play looked really amazing in that matchup, by That's, the way. That, that is for real. You beat the number one player in the Australian Open Juniors. You, you, you're you're a serious contender. Now, she lost in the second round to Sonia Jayabayeva, uh, is but again, a tight match, 4-6-6, 4-6-6, I should say. Um, and then she got to the uh, doubles uh, in, in doubles. She got to the quarters uh, where it, it, along with uh, her uh, Australian, uh, her, her fellow compatriot and childhood friend, Rosen Gilhaney, um, they made it all the way to the quarters. And get this, they lost uh, to Saito and her doubles partner, Hayu Kinoshita, uh, Two six six two, ten eight. Yeah, tight one. <laughs> a close tight, one. Tight one. I mean, yeah. no, hey, ten eight but, doubles. Holy smokes! In the but, third. But, but that's impressive for her to be accomplishing that at the junior level because the junior level is basically for those that don't follow tennis. It's like the best, the top prospects in tennis play there. It's They're like triple A, right? Yeah, and she's just a freshman. Um, and you know, and talking to people, we had Brian. We had Brian on on the YouTube channel there. Me and Bryson talked to him. I think she's the best prospect they've ever had in women's tennis. And when she's going to be here, I think the thinking is she'll probably be back in a couple of weeks. I think LSU, Bryson, does that sound right? Scheduling wise, they're hoping oh. to have her back by then. It's next LSU. weekend, LSU. Yeah, yeah, they're hoping to get her back next weekend. But you add her to the mix. You know, this team I think is, is going to have a great potential. You just hope you can keep her. Uh, playing at UCF for a while because that's the challenge of tennis like it is with like you know soccer and others you know they want to go pro so early we had a great conversation with John Roddick about that last year how tennis players want to go pro so she's one to watch she could be really special she could be to women's tennis what Gabe DeCamps was a couple years ago to the men's side where she could end up if she plays long enough as UCF and fills her potential could be the best tennis player that the women's programs had you know it's kind of Eric it's kind of funny how like we go nuts about like, you know, in college basketball, like one and done and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We're like, but in tennis and golf, this happens all the time. No one, no one gives a rip. Nobody thinks it's an individual. It's, it's a, been constant. I mean, heck, tennis players are playing in their teens. I mean, 17, 18 year old. I mean, that's, you're right. That's it's. I remember uh, Martina Hingis playing at what? 14. Yeah. She was making, sure. she was making major finals. I mean, Coco so, golf is playing at 16. Yeah. She's 17 years old. I mean, that's, Tennis used to, it's a young sport. Uh, a lot of, you know, really what the guys like Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Serena Williams have done have been the exception to the rule. Uh, Rafael Nadal is the other one. So uh, you're right. That's the exception. She's a kid to watch. Uh, I, you know, talking to people at UCF this week. In fact, there's already media requests for her when she gets back. So, Bryson, if you were thinking you were going to talk to her, <laughs> you get in line. <laughs> uh, by yeah. the way, not just us, by the way. No, and that's for for that program to get media requests. I mean, outside. I mean, that's that tells you a lot. That's significant. Uh, oh, go ahead, Bryson. 
No, yeah. I was just going to say, like you mentioned how uh, women, how, you know, young people go pro with, with in tennis and golf all the time. I think the big thing with that is that tennis and golf are much more individual focused sports, because when you look at the professionals, they are they are individual. The team environment that we see in the collegiate golf, collegiate golf and tennis is not what we see in the pros. And so them going pro is more of a, I guess, accepted just because of the individualistic nature of tennis and golf i mean heck you look at at uh, florida's ben shelton he went to the quarterfinal of the men uh, uh, he he went pro for going two years of eligibility at florida and he made it all the way to the aussie open quarterfinal yeah yeah so well i mean i'm excited to see what brian kenyako has in store and, and once we get stephanie back in you know in the fold here at ucf what's going to happen with her on the other side the men are also starting their season um uh, uh, they actually got their first win already uh, or, uh, earlier uh, this week against Georgia Southern five to two. Um, and now they start, you know, a real it, or they they actually head to the ITA kickoff weekend at Ohio State in Columbus. They play they play number two Ohio State. So here we go um, with that with John Roddick's schedule, man, he's. You know, we, we like to make fun of Tiffany Roberts to Haydack, but here's here's John already starting out with number the, two. And the most difficult place. Or, or, yeah. The most difficult place to play, arguably, in college tennis. John Roddick, we were on with last week. Bryce, remember what he said about Ohio State? They had one, like, one of the longest win streaks in college tennis history at home. They were they have the record, kind of like with the Miami Hurricanes in the Orange Bowl, uh, Jeff, where yeah. they won 56 in college football. Ohio State has that record in men's tennis. Wow. So they play number two Ohio State, and then – either Tulsa or Oregon, depending upon the results on the following day, Saturday, the 29th. And then they have a nice little 12 day break until they play uh, at Illinois, again, going back to big 10 country. Uh, and then uh, they play at Illinois. And then two days later, February 12th at Nebraska, man, they're making, they're doing the big 10 tour up here, Columbus, Champaign. Uh, Make the uh, most of your trip. Lincoln. Yeah. I mean, why not? Um but, uh, all right, so, I mean, what, what do we know right now, Bryson, about this team? You know, they beat Georgia Southern, obviously, that's fine. We, we, we know how, you know, last year kind of went. You know, this year right now, they're one and one. Um, the loss to Florida uh, and then the win against Georgia Southern to go to, uh, to, go, to, to, go to uh, one and one. The loss to Florida was uh, six to one last, uh, you know, to open up the season, um, even though it was actually – the score is a little deceiving because the match was tighter than that. But, you know, is this going to, what did we learn from these first two matches? John Roddick really said as much that the score six, one was really deceiving. And when I, and when, while me being there at USTA, which by the way, Alex Ward, the long snapper from UCF football was there as well, which is interesting, but Alex Ward's everywhere. He, he really is. So one thing that he's I like, definitely, he's like Roy Kent. <laughs> yes I, I yeah that that's a good we're one. not we're, we're not going any further anyway so, carry yes on. yes so but so first of all great that one point that UCF was able to get came from senior Bogdan Pavel he managed to beat Florida's Will Grant after losing the first set five to seven he came back and won the, the next two sets six two six four so not not too shabby right there on on his front but but most of those singles matches that UCF needed to win in order to take the match victory went into third sets and they went pretty far. Medi Benchacrone, a true freshman from 
Morocco, he went into a third set with number 93 ranked Jonah Braswell. And he went six, he only lost six, four in that third set. And then you also have Leighton Cron, and then you have um, Quinn Snyder, who went, who lost five to seven in the third set against Florida's Lucas Grief. So the, the score, the score is is deceiving because they took this number seventeen ranked Florida team and actually took them pretty far for and for a team that is so young, that is uh, honestly pretty amazing. And they didn't even use. You seen Delimi, who was another Moroccan that just joined up with Benchakroon, and he was and Delimi was representing the Moroccans in the Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. So this is this is isn't even their full roster on this one yet, and so I'm very intrigued to see that. Bottom of L, I talked to him after the match and a match. He talked about how how, how he's helping this t- these young people kind of get used to playing playing there because he's the elder statesman of this team. And I'm just very intrigued because if they can do this against Florida and take them, take them that close, I'm very interested to see the progress that they can make over the course of the season. And you mentioned Ohio State. They actually get the chance to play Ohio State twice this season because they come here to the USTA national campus. Home and home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Track and field real quick. We'll switch over. They uh, are actually finishing up today. We're recording this on Friday, the 27th. The LSU, uh, county collegiate invite at Gainesville and then they go back to Gainesville for the celebration point indoor classic later next week so Thursday Friday Thursday Friday in Gainesville uh they split up last weekend uh the sprinters went out to Texas Tech for the Red Raider open and then uh everybody else went to the Vanderbilt Invitational what did we learn from that in the uh, indoor season Bryson I would Deja Lampkin, a transfer, a transfer sprinter from Alabama. She has really made her mark on the on the sprinting world right now. She ended up finishing second in the 200 meter dash at the Red Raider Open, and right behind her, Beyonce DeFreyes also joined her as as well. Kia Kia Williams got the third, ran the third fastest 400 meter dash time indoor. By the way, uh, indoor and outdoor times are separate in the record book. That she ran the third the third fastest indoor 400 meter dash in program history out there. And then in Vanderbilt, we got to see the jumpers high time to shine. Jasmine Scott Kilgo got the third longest indoor long jump in program history. Ashira Collins got the third longest triple jump. In, in in indoor program history and then natalia madison we talked last season last year about britney floyd just revolutionizing mul- the multi-group in the track and field by breaking the pentathlon and the heptathlon records well natalia madison just went and got the second the second highest pentathlon score in ucf history history with 3704 points in vanderbilt she finished fifth but i considering the, her improvement in the pentathlon from last season, I think Natalia Madison is going to be one to watch going forward when we see the multis yeah. uh, returns later on. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in these two straight matches and or two straight meets up in Gainesville as they get ready because the indoor season's short and all of a sudden we're going outdoor. Um, and I know that everyone likes to pay attention to that, but hey, UCF has collected itself some cred on the indoor season uh, in previous years too. One last little bit uh, on some professional moves. Remember Cal Jennings, the human goal? Uh, well, UCF men's former UCF men's soccer star is going to be coming back to the Sunshine State. He signed with the Tampa Bay Rowdies of the USL Championship. Eric, um, you know, he was a part of the uh, it was the LAFC for quite some time. 
Yeah, well, this quite, past year. Yeah, couldn't. I mean, he scored some goals, I think, but you know, couldn't quite find his footing. I think he's coming back to uh, back over here. Tampa must have must have made him a pretty good offer because you know, that's a pretty good franchise over there, even though they're not MLS. Um, they are actually independent. They are not affiliated with a with an MLS team. So that's that's where he is right now. So uh, what do we think about this? Well, I think it's uh, he's trying to get playing time. He didn't play at LAFC in limited time. I think I'm going to imagine he gets some more playing time uh, there with Tampa. Why is Orlando City not on him? I have no idea. But because yeah. um, he can put the ball in the net. Uh, to Lord me, that's they the- need that. Right. So we'll see how he does with the Rowdies. They've done a great job there. A buddy of mine's Ryan Davis, who does some color for UCF men's and women's soccer, does their commentary over there with the Rowdies, and they have great fan support. They're trying to eventually get to be an NMLS franchise. Uh, I think it's one of their goals there. So we'll see how that goes. And then some big news, free agent market. Sean Johnson leaving New York City FC for Toronto, Jeff. Where That's he big. was the MLS Cup most valuable player. Yeah. Here's another guy that Orlando City missed out on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. up to he's going north of the border to Toronto FC. That's that's a blockbuster move. I mean, he's been a big part of that New York City FC Cup championship a couple years ago. They've been in the conference titles. Uh so this is a that's a big loss for the New York City FC in Toronto. So uh Sean Johnson making a big move there and a free agent move there for uh, for himself. Good. Hopefully it works out for him. Come on, Orlando City. Come on. Well, I could tell as folks will get to know later on in the year, Nick, our new, our newest uh, acquisition, uh, big soccer guy. He's he's down. He's he's fired up about it. He's a big rowdy guy. Could tell. Yeah, well, he's he's got. I mean, you know, he's actually listening in on the show right now. He's got his Tampa Bay Rays flag up up behind him, which you know, I'm all. I'm, Chad I'm Matola, all former oh. UCF, former That's UCF, right. great Chad Matola hitting coach for the race so big big parts there and speaking of course baseball softball around the corner media days coming for baseball and softball this week yeah i know we saw the baseball team out there and uh uh we we saw the baseball team out there throwing t-shirts up into the stands of the houston game john rice plumley was there he almost threw it into the upper deck uh volleyball was out there getting uh you know getting some celebration for their fifth straight conference championship it was a that was a fun game. The result wasn't what we wanted, but that was a fun night in the arena. I hope we can Yeah, it was a fun that. night in the building. We got some fun days ahead with baseball, softball, softball ranked nationally. Jada Cody's up for National Player of the Year watch list. People love watch list. Uh, but, yeah, no, baseball media and softball media day. While everybody's asking Greg about JRP, I will be asking about his thoughts on the Royal Rumble. In fact, Bryson, we need to re- get the media request in to Alex now. We need his pick for the Royal Rumble. It's this weekend. Let's make this happen. We got to go. Well, no, we need to get him and Dagenet in on this. All, All right. right, we'll get. To, we can make something happen here. I want Royal Rumble picks before Saturday night. Brian Murphy it right. demands it. All right, we're gonna, Yeah, it's going to happen. All right, uh, Nick is on the record with Cody Rhodes. Okay, uh, I agree with that. Actually, it. that'll do it for us. Make sure you follow us at UCF Banner underscore SBN on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to our podcast on uh, Apple or Android. You can also follow us each individually. Kyle, who left us earlier, is the SOTG for the student of the game. Of course, don't forget Stat Boy Drew, Andrew Glukov. Uh, you can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo, Bryson at It's Bryson Turner. Don't forget to follow Nick, Nick Porcelli2, Nick Porcelli, the number two on Twitter, our newest addition 
to the roster. Uh, He's our Ernie Sims of the staff coming over from Tampa, like Ernie Sims did uh, to the football staff. Oh, he didn't like that. What did you do, Eric? Come on. <laughs> uh, the, uh, and, don't, and also, don't forget the fact that we have uh, some amazing photographers who've been doing work on our Instagram. Uh, Brenna Johnson, uh, you know, of course, Noah Goldberg, Derek Warden. We got some great photos from the Houston game. Check it out on our Instagram, Black and Gold Banneret. And also facebook.com slash black and gold banner and our youtube channel where you see all of our latest interviews uh press opportunities uh including um the full interview with uh, terrence porn that we had with uh with kyle that you heard earlier uh in the show for all of us here at black and gold banner i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much for listening for bryson and eric and also for kyle earlier on today enjoy the weekend go nights charge on and we will see you noon saturday for basketball see you then